Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a new photography exhibit commemorates the aftermath of George Floyd's death at the hands of Minneapolis police. The deadline to apply for the State Fair's Family Century Farms is fast approaching, and everything you need to know about Goldie's run. But first... This week was a blockbuster on the political scene all the way from Washington, D.C. to St. Paul to Duluth Superior. MNN's Bill Warner files this report. Scott, the week got off to a running start for sure with the latest economic forecast showing Minnesota's record-breaking budget surplus $7.7 billion last fall, now growing to $9.2 billion. Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller says that over-collected taxpayer money really strengthens the argument for permanent ongoing tax relief to working Minnesotans and senior citizens. Governor Tim Walz responded he's willing to talk about permanent tax cuts for low- and middle-income Minnesotans, but he says Republicans' tax cuts will go clear to the very top. Should we invest in education? Should we invest and talk about a bonding bill? Or... Should we give all of tax cut with some of it going to a big chunk going to the top? Prompted by that even larger surplus, the governor roughly tripled his original proposal for tax rebate checks. Can put a significant amount of money in the hands. It's about $1,000 a couple or so right now. Senate Majority Leader Miller responded the governor's number now matches what Republicans already proposed, but the difference is the GOP's tax relief is permanent. So working Minnesotans see more money in their pocket every single paycheck, week after week, month after month, year after year. But Minnesota's blockbuster surplus does come with some caveats. Officials say although the state's budget outlook remains strong, two unknowns are inflation and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which could fuel additional price increases. State economist Dr. Laura Kolumbakidis. The first, the things that seem most obvious are that oil prices which had already been rising because of the buildup of Russian weaponry along the Ukrainian border, oil prices being higher. Dr. Kolumbakidis says prices could also increase when Russia and Ukraine can no longer produce their normal agricultural output, particularly wheat. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. The United States... I mean it. President Biden in his State of the Union address this week blasting Russian President Vladimir Putin for invading Ukraine. He thought he could divide us at home. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. We are ready. We are united, and that's what we did. We stayed united. And a question on many Minnesotans' minds, especially those with loved ones in the military. Let me be clear. Our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies in the event that Putin decides to keep moving west. Republican Party of Minnesota Chairman David Hand said the president's foreign policy, quote, emboldened Putin's Russia and made the world less safe. Governor Tim Walz will not say whether Minnesota government will take action, but says he's asked his team to take a look at the state's investments in Russia. Walz did not answer whether he'd support a boycott of Russian products, saying that country will be punished on a broader scale with economic sanctions. Very cognizant that 
Vladimir Putin and the oligarchs are not going to feel pain. The average Russian is going to, many of whom are courageously in the streets protesting about this illegal incursion into Ukraine. The governor says he does not support expelling Russian students, that many of them, he says, may end up deciding that this is the place that they'd rather stay. President Biden's State of the Union address also keyed into the same issue that has Republicans and Democrats divided at the Minnesota legislature. Unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan... The American Rescue Plan helped working people and left no one behind. Sixth District Republican Congressman Tom Emmer said the president's careless spending has created the worst inflation crisis in 40 years. And spotlighting an issue on many Minnesotans' minds, the president said the American Rescue Plan provides $350 billion to hire more police and invest in proven strategies. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. But the president also urged... Let's come together and protect our communities, restore trust, and hold law enforcement accountable. That's why the Justice Department has required body cameras, banned chokeholds, and restricted no-knock warrants for its officers. Minnesota Republican Party Chairman Han said radical Democratic politicians like the President and Governor Tim Walz, quote, are overseeing crime rising in communities across our state and country. Meanwhile, 5th District Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar this week introduced a bill to restrict use of no-knock police warrants in any jurisdiction that receives federal money. It is supported by Karen Wells, mother of 22-year-old Amir Locke, who was killed by Minneapolis police during a SWAT operation. Through this bill, we hope he can truly make a difference across the entire country and save young black men and others from being tragic victims. And the day after the State of the Union address. Hello, Wisconsin. Did you hear me across the river? Hello, Minnesota. President Biden in Duluth Superior touting the trillion-dollar infrastructure package he pushed through Congress. The president spoke at the University of Wisconsin campus after an impromptu stop at the Blotnick Bridge, saying that aging span between the port cities is not alone. There are 700, excuse me, 979 bridges in Wisconsin, 661 bridges in Minnesota in poor condition, along with nearly 7,000 miles of highway between your two states that need repair. And now, after years of talking about infrastructure, we're finally getting it done. Finally. Opponents of Enbridge's proposed Line 5 pipeline upgrade, which runs from the Twin Ports through Wisconsin and Michigan to Detroit, gathered along the president's motorcade route, pointing out that Biden warned about climate change just the night before in his State of the Union address. We appreciate his message that he wants to address climate change, but we really need to see a transition away from outdated dirty energy and fossil fuels. Jeremy Gregard with the National Wildlife Federation says it is worrisome that even under this president, pipelines are being built. In the Twin Ports, the president pointed out there's money to upgrade the Sioux Locks, which handle Minnesota iron ore, and... We're also doubling the investment we're making in our ports, including the port of Duluth Superior, which was awarded $8.4 million grant to make critical improvements. Republican Congressman Pete Stauber said the president's policies have been very harsh on the middle class and the blue-collar worker in the 8th Congressional District that he represents. Stauber highly critical of the federal government in January canceling two mineral leases for planned mines in northern Minnesota. 
but overshadowing everything else this week, all the way from Washington, D.C. to Duluth Superior. Together, we send an unmistakable signal to Ukraine and to the world that we, the United States of America, stand with the Ukrainian people. We stand with them. The president told the Twin Ports audience, we will continue to aid the Ukrainian people as they defend their country and help ease their suffering. When history of this era is written, Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Scott. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A new photography exhibit opens at Mill City Museum later this month, puts a spotlight on the events in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. I recently spoke with Hubbard School of Journalism lecturer Regina McCombs about the exhibit. It's an exhibit of images from the time that George Floyd was murdered in uh, May of 2020 to through the um, guilty verdict for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. And tell me what kinds of photographs are comprised in this um, exhibit. There really are a wide variety of images. There are images from the immediate protests and riots that sort of took place um, through sort of real building of community in the protests and things, uh, especially around George Floyd Square, through the ongoing protests, and then sort of the reaction to the verdict. How did the exhibit come to be? There was a photographer who was here covering the trials based out of state, and he really fell in love with the photographic community here. And he kept messaging people and saying, you guys need to have an exhibit. And those people kept messaging me and saying, hey, we should have an exhibit. So um, I put together a group of folks who had uh, photographers and other people involved in um, in covering, visually covering the that year. And so we sort of put together a call for entries um, and had over 80 photographers enter over 500 photos. And then three jurors, um, myself and two um, black visual journalists, 
really sort of combed through them and talked about the images and what sort of made sense to put in the exhibit. And we ended up choosing 54 images to print and then another 100 that are sort of part of a video display. I'm sure everybody who sees the exhibit, uh, in particular people that have uh, been aware of what's been going on here in uh, Minnesota over the course of the past several years, especially having to do with George Floyd, it's going to hit everybody a little bit differently. But I'm curious to get your reaction to um, how you felt and, and what you felt when you saw all those photographs compiled. It really was kind of an emotional experience for me to sort of look at the range of emotions that people went through and the experiences and this sort of really up and down kind of things that happened and the really difficult stuff and yet sort of some of the goodness that came out of it too. So it Really, I think for everyone who's talked to me, they've said it's been really emotional. And some people have sort of said they needed kind of a deprocess or decompression time after looking at it. Um, and that's kind of the goal, right, is to get everybody really thinking about what changes happened and maybe even what changes still need to happen. And, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, that's a great question, and I know, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, but I'm curious if there's any kind of supplemental information that's included as part of this exhibit uh, to, to even enhance the experience further. Each photo is captioned, and we've got a few sort of contextual slides and things, but it pretty much is stands on its own, I guess, with the big you know, with people having to sort of look at the pictures and, and do some level of interpretation. One of the things we really wanted to do with his exhibit was not just bring the professional photographers into it, but um, we asked the community photographers. There were so many people that came out and just took pictures for some for the first time in their lives because they felt sort of compelled by the events to get out cameras and document it. And so it's really interesting to see you know, photographs from somebody who just came out to take pictures next to someone from National Geographic. And it's really interesting to see these perspectives and sort of realize that it's actually kind of a fine line in some ways between the different kinds of photographers that were out there. In terms of where the exhibit is going to be and when it's going to be there, can you just give me a few of the kind of nuts and bolts details in terms of where it is and when it is? So it's on display now at the Anderson Library through next week, and then it moves to the Mill City Museum, where it opens March 17th and will run through the anniversary of George Floyd's death, um, Memorial Day, and on through June 5th. Thank you to my guest, Hubbard School of Journalism lecturer Regina McCombs. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This year, the Minnesota State Fair and Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation will once again honor the state's oldest farm families with the Century Farms program. Reporter J.W. Cox tells us the deadline to apply is coming up fast. 
March the 7th, Scott, that's coming up quickly here, and it's when applications need to be submitted for consideration in the Century Farm Program this year. I spoke with Rachel Peterson, the leadership coordinator at the Minnesota Farm Bureau. She says the basics of the program are there in the name, 100 Years of Farming. But the stories they find through the application process each year show just how unique each of these historic farms can be. I get a lot of phone calls from those who are working on their applications, and it's really cool just to hear from them what they learn about their family farms as they're doing this process. Um, We also do the sesquicentennial farms, which would be 150 years, um, and that can add another two or three generations to the application. Uh, And it's just really cool for people to go back and look through their history, their family records, to really know more about where their farms came from. Um, and how they got to where they are today. So it's really fun hearing from others uh, what they go through when they're doing the application. The broad shared history of Minnesota farming. That, Peterson says, is at the core of why this program, year in and year out, is significant and needs the attention of everyone, not just the farmers being honored. It's really a great way for us to recognize the importance and history of agriculture in Minnesota. Uh, A lot of people have ties to farming going back maybe one generation or two generations, being removed a couple of years. But most people can say my grandparents were farmers and connect to it that way. Uh, We really use this as a way to store that information and retain the history of our farms in Minnesota. Since the program began in 1976, the histories of nearly 11,000 Minnesota Century Farms have been recognized in the program. Last year, the oldest two farms, both from 1856, recognized for the first time. One, the Murphy Farm in Henderson in Lesueur County. The other, the Mechtel Family Farm, located in Scott County in Shakopee. In all, last year, farms from more than 50 different Minnesota counties were recognized, the most in Faribault County with its nine different family farms, including four located all in Blue Earth County, the Jacobson Family Farm, the Betcher Family Farm, the Olson Dairy, and the Warner Farm. So what about the nuts and bolts of the program? There are parameters that must be met, Peterson says, both in terms of time and ownership of these historic farms. Century Farm um, is any farm in Minnesota that has been incorporated since uh, 1922 for this year. They can apply even if they are over 100 years old, so they don't have to be right on the mark when they apply. Um, We work with the Minnesota State Fair to recognize these farms, Uh, and it really is a historical feature that we do and all applications for those recipients are stored at the Minnesota Historical Society. While the deadline is fast approaching, Peterson says the program is about accessibility for farmers who qualify so the history of Minnesota farming can be properly preserved. With that in mind, the application process is fairly simple. Yep, so it's a two-page document. Um, The first page is required and the second page is optional. First page is going to ask you uh, the history of your farm as far as who's owned it over the last 100 plus years. It has to have stayed within your family, and we do have that um, definition in the application to make it a little more clear, um, as well as where your farm is located. Uh, we don't ask for any other additional information to be sent in, so you don't have to send in like a 50 page 
abstract or anything to, to prove something. So we try to make it as simple as possible. Uh, and the second page is just additional historical information that you can choose to include or not. Applications still available due again March 7th. Find more information in the application online at mnstatefair.org under the Participants tab by clicking on Awards and Recognitions or simply by typing in Century Farm to the search box. Scott, back to you. Thank you so much for that, JW. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's a big running event coming up in early April. It'll raise funds for the M Health Fairview Masonic Children's Hospital on the U of M campus. Abbott, along with Gopher Athletics, will host Goldie's Run for the 12th year with all proceeds going to the hospital. The event has been a virtual event due to the pandemic, but this year Goldie's Run will be live and in person, set for Sunday, April 3rd. The race starts and ends at Huntington Bank Stadium and features a scenic route around campus with special visits from gopher athletes and coaches. The webpage to register for the run is goldiesrun.com. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with a member of the race sponsorship team for Minnesota Matters. With Dan Kaiser now, Divisional Vice President of Product Development with Abbott's Electrophysiology Business. And uh, first of all, uh, good to see you, Dan. You too, Mike. Good to be with you. Hey, we're talking Goldie's Run, which has become really one of the great running events in the state of Minnesota when you look at number of participants, how much fun it is, location and setting. Um, tell us, first of all, uh, before we get into uh, why Abbott is involved and, and all of that, how come, uh, what makes this such a great run? I know you've been part of it in the past as well. Yeah, I think one of the things, if you're familiar with Abbott, you know, we're a global healthcare leader aiming to help people live better lives through better health and our products really span the spectrum of healthcare, including medical devices, nutrition products, diagnostic testing, such as their line of COVID-19 tests available around the world. So we really have a big presence in the Twin Cities. Almost 5,000 Abbott employees are proud to call Minnesota home. And so the Twin Cities area is a great environment for innovation and the origin for next generation life-saving products. And the University of Minnesota is really a main source of high quality talent to help us create those products. So I'm really extremely proud to be a Gopher alumni myself. And at Abbott, we're intensely focused on improving access to healthcare, engaging communities, supporting STEM education, and improving children's health, really. And that's 
where Goldie's run is a special part of our, our focus and has been for a long time here in Minnesota. Yeah, as you guys have uh, been connected here, let, let's talk about, uh, as you mentioned, Abbott is is based locally here, particularly uh, your division uh, that you're part of and with medical devices and, and products and different things along those lines. Um, why is it important to be involved in the community? Yeah, the the thing that we try to bring back to our community that we we engage and build the the um, the type of environment where our employees work and and they live and what we want to do is is build on that over time and because we've been a part of Goldie's Run for a long time in Minnesota uh, we want to continue that event it's been over ten years that we've been part of it and it's a great opportunity to participate help change the lives of pediatric patients battling heart disease and and we do it in the environments that we live in and that that brings us great uh pleasure and and a proud tradition within abbott and obviously with the medical background with with all of you do it's important too to be part of uh, helping out from a charitable aspect with uh, with the m health fair m health fairview masonic children's hospital as well i would assume absolutely the um the amount of of emphasis on this specific event uh, is, I think, a reason why we want to talk more about it, why we want to get more involved uh, doing it for a number of years. We want to continue to support M Health Fairview and the Children's Hospital and, and all the people that benefit from that type of service and such great providers and healthcare professionals in that, in that institution. And we continue to feel privilege to help. Yeah, and you mentioned the talent acquisition, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, University of Minnesota graduates. Uh, you you guys uh, use that as a talent pool to help add to your workforce to continue with uh, a lot of the great innovative things you guys are doing, right? Yeah, you know, Mike, we, we participate in career fairs, and we're constantly trying to build on our talent within Abbott. And we found that University of Minnesota really creates a broad background for its graduates to help us in many ways. Um, so we're going to continue doing that. And uh, career fairs and, and recruiting locally is what's really helped us grow over the years. And we're going to, we're going to double down on that and, and really enjoy that type of environment. People can go to goldiesrun.com to register. All proceeds, as we mentioned, go to M Health Fairview Masonic Children's Hospital. It's goldiesrun.com. And, uh, Dan, will you be uh, running on on Sunday, April the 3rd? Unfortunately, I'll be out of town, but I uh, I told my wife and kids that they can feel free to, to show up either in person. I know there's a virtual option. Maybe I can do that while I'm out of town. Uh, and I know registration's open now. Uh, so really... With Abbott, no matter how you join or where you join, what your starting line looks like, uh, it's going to be a great year. Very good. Well, Dan, we appreciate the time, and uh, can, uh, thank you so much for the support of Goldie's Run and the support of uh, not just the University of Minnesota and the hospital, but also the entire state. Absolutely. Thank you. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Go Gophers. That's Dan Kaiser from race sponsor Abbott. Again, to help the cause and enjoy a day of running, including a 10-mile run, a 5K run, and a half-mile Goldie's Gallop for kids. You can register at goldiesrun.com. All proceeds benefit the M Health Fairview Masonic Children's Hospital. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <music>